Well, Christmas is only 17 days away. 17 days. That means all the guys in here have 16 days until they have to go shopping, okay? And uh, that's the way it's going to be. And I'd like to begin this morning by simply asking you this question. What does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to you? So I'd like you to talk to the person beside you. I'll give you a moment to do that and tell them what does Christmas mean to you. You're all quiet this morning. You're like, all right. So if I, I was thinking about this, if someone asked me this question, Chris, what does Christmas mean to you? I would say Christmas is the most mind shattering event in the history of the world. I mean, I am totally amazed to believe that God's one and only son would leave the majesty of heaven to come to the mess of earth. And do you know why he did that? Because of his great immense love that he has for every single one of you. And leading up to Christmas, I've been thinking that I want my heart and I want my mind and I want my spirit to be able to really remember and experience what Christ's birth means. But I also realize that in this Christmas season, myself and all of you are often kind of distracted. We're pulled away. We have Christmas lists that we need to go and and purchase presents. And there's shopping and buying and organizing and getting food together. And just me saying all that is stressing some of you out right now. And you're like, ah, we got to do all of this. And you see, Christmas has this way of creating worry and anxiety within us because of all that needs to be done. For some of you, that's where you're at this morning. Or you will be shortly. For others of you, you're going to experience Christmas for the very first time without a loved one around the table. You are worrying and you're fretting what Christmas is going to be. You're not sure exactly if you can make it through it. And yet the reality is for many of you, that's where you're at. And so whether you're in the hustle bustle and there's just these thoughts going everywhere, or you're at a place where you're not even sure you want to experience and go through it today, if we're not careful, we can go through this entire season, folks, and miss out on the plot of what Christmas is truly about. So, I want to ask you, what does Christmas mean to you this year? What is it that you're experiencing? What is it that you're facing? What does it mean to you this year? You know, I've been kind of sitting and pondering about this question for myself over the past two weeks. And so, Uh, The next two weeks, what I really want to do is unpack and give you the best way I know how to express to you the true meaning of what Christmas is. But to do this, we have to actually go back to the very beginning. 
In the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we're told a story in which there is this God who is creating things, and he finally gets to his masterpiece, the pinnacle of it all, human beings, and he creates two people, and what were their names? Yeah, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are placed into this garden, and they experience paradise, truly heaven on earth. They know exactly what it is to be fully known by God and to be fully known by each other. And there is this true sense of intimacy and community that's going on. They had a relationship so much so that they never experienced shame. They could stand in front of God and there was no hiding. There was no mask. There was no secrets. But then one day... The two of them decided that they wanted to be their own God. And they separated themselves from God and they went off and they did their own thing. And when this happened, sin came into the world and hiding began. Hiding like we had never seen before and yet hiding that we still do today. And for the first time in human history, there was shame and they knew what they had done was wrong. And because of this, Adam and Eve were moved out of the garden. And since that time, folks, God has been on this relentless pursuit, trying to get closer and closer to us. In fact, it kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and this is what I want us to leave here today, that the key to Christmas, folks, is really noticing and experiencing God's presence. That the key to this whole season is not all the stuff that we're doing. It's not all the, the struggles that we might have. But it is, can we actually notice and experience his presence? You see, since the garden, God has longed to be with us. He longs for all of us to finally be in unity with him. Now, Genesis is just the backstory for what eventually happens, which is this whole group of people called the Israelites becomes formed and God chooses them as his people. And they find themselves, though, unfortunately, in Egypt. And when they find themselves in Egypt, they're slaves and they're there for over 400 years. And by God's power, though, after this 400 year period, The Israelite people finally get a chance to leave Egypt, but they're not sure exactly where they're going. And so God places a guy by the name of Moses to be the leader of this group of people. And he takes them and they camp out on the edge of a desert. But they're not sure where they're going to go. And then all of a sudden, one day, they look up and they notice this cloud... And they start to follow it. And when the cloud finally stopped at night, it actually looked like it was on fire. And there was a sense of noticing God's presence in the creation that was around them. Growing up as a kid, my mom uh, was a person who was very connected to God when it came to creation. She still is today. And when we would be in the car and she was driving, she would say, hey, kids, what do you see outside the door, outside your window? And I'd look out and I'd be like, well, I see a tree. And she'd say, no, 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 look a little bit 
differently. I said, well, I see cars. I see people. And she's like, no, 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 no. I want you to look up. And all of a sudden, I kind of look my head out and I go, oh, where there's the sky and there's a cloud and there's a sun. Or if it was at night, there's a moon. She's like, yeah. And now let's take some time right now to thank God for everything that is up in the sky. And then we would go through this whole litany of like saying all these things. Now I'm telling you, when you're, you know, a little kid, you love doing this. But once you become a teenager and your mom's going, would you look out the window and look up high and look at the sky and let's thank God for the clouds and everything. All of a sudden I'm like, this isn't cool. You're a weird woman. And as an adult and as a teenager, she just wouldn't let off. She just kept doing this. Now, fast forward just a few years. When I'm in the car with my kids, guess what? I do the exact same thing. My two girls, when they're sitting in the back uh, in the morning as I take them to school, I'll begin to start telling them, hey, guys, I want you to look outside. And they're kind of like me. They just look directly out. When I was a little kid, I said, no, 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 look up. And they'll start seeing the sun and the moon or clouds or the sky. And then I'll say, well, let's take some time to remember this and to give thanks to God for this. And uh, over the past couple of years, I, I noticed that my daughters would do this more and more. And there was a song that was coming out by Alicia Keys a few years ago. And uh, this is my best Alicia Keys Verse that I can sing it. That girl is on fire. That girl is on fire. And so all of a sudden, uh, about two months ago, we're driving and we see this beautiful, beautiful sunset and we take a picture, not that one in particular, but we see one that's similar to it. And all of a sudden I go, hey, girls, girls, do you look up there and do you see the beautiful sunset? And they're like, yeah, dad. And I said, do you know what that sunset is telling you? They're like, no, dad. What is it? I go, that God is on fire. That God is on fire. And they both rolled their eyes, just like some of you are doing right now. But I'm telling you. What I've tried to do is place within them, let us notice God's presence in the creation around us. Well, let's get back to the story. The sky is on fire, and I can imagine someone finally comes up to Moses, and they're kind of telling Moses, hey, Moses, you know, what? what's up with this? I mean, there, there's this cloud, and it's in the sky, and it looks like it's burning. Now, remember, the very first time that Moses ever connected with God, what was in common with the cloud that's on fire? There was a bush that was on fire. And Moses kind of gets this and he gets this eerie feeling and he spreads the word that everyone is going to start chasing this cloud now. Wherever it goes, we're going to follow it. And wherever the cloud goes, we believe it's God's presence and we'll go as well. And the scripture says this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. You see, during this time, folks, clouds became synonymous with God's presence. 
And the people each morning would wake up with great expectation. Like, where's the cloud going to go? We're so excited. We want to be a part of that presence. Now, quick time out here for a second. I want to ask all of you this question. When was the last time you noticed God's presence and you followed it? When was the last time in your life that you were so connected with what was around you that you noticed his presence and you actually followed it? Now, let me say it again. God's presence at this time was synonymous with the cloud. So at night there was or during the day there was this cloud. But then at night the cloud would actually become like fire. And that's what they would do. They would follow this cloud. And the people, like I said, were eager with expectation. We're going to follow it because that's where God is leading us. So the Israelite people followed the cloud. And day after day, day after day, day after day, God is like, I want to get closer, though. I want to get closer. I want to get closer. And so finally, one day, Moses is actually invited up to a mountain. And uh, the cloud kind of comes and it envelops all of this mountain called Sinai. And it takes Moses six days to actually walk to the top of it. But when he gets to the top of it, it's like there's this consuming fire that is on top of it. And the Israelite people look up and they see it. And in Exodus, the story continues on and says, Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. In this moment, it's as if the God of heaven comes down to earth and there is this connection. God descends down and now earth ascends up and there is this connection. And they meet on a mountaintop and they're up there for over a month. Just God and Moses connecting. And God's like, but I want to get closer. I want to get closer. I want to get closer. And it's a beautiful scene. And then from a cloud, God says, I've got to get even closer than this. I've got to get closer. So the cloud actually envelops Mount Sinai. And so you see that it goes from a cloud that's on fire to now a cloud that is covering this mountain called Sinai. And on Sinai, God tells Moses, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied just for the people to be able to look up and notice that I'm present and I'm there. I want to go down there, Moses. I want to go down the mountain to be with the people. And so they evolve a plan. And the next plan is they create this thing called a tabernacle. A tabernacle that was simply kind of a tent. And it's this portable tent where now the dwelling of God, his presence, would be inside of this tent. And God tells Moses these words. He says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell. The Greek word or the uh, Hebrew word actually means I will tabernacle. I will actually be among them. And the tabernacle is God literally coming into earth and placing stakes in it. He puts stakes in the ground and he says, now I'm going to be present in this place and people can experience me. 
And the pillars of the cloud would go by day and by night. And then they would stop. And then the people would stop. And with excitement, they would get ready to put up this tent. And they would put stakes in the ground. And it's there that they would recognize the presence that God was there. And the scripture goes on and it says this. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the clouds lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift... They did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud with the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travel. I love that phrase, folks, in the sight of them all. God was saying, he's saying, I'm training you to perceive and to recognize me in all of your settings. And again, let me ask you another question. How well do you notice God's presence? When you're going through your day, how well do you notice his presence? In this setting, I can imagine that they're camping every single day. They're getting the tent ready and they're going and they're excited because they can see the cloud leading them. And now God's presence is actually in the temple and they're setting it up and they're tearing it down And there's joy. Now, I don't know how many of you are campers, but this might shock some of you. I am not a camper. Uh, I've only actually gone tent camping once in my life. It happened in the very first year of our marriage. We had no money, but we wanted to go to Kings Island. So we decided that we would camp at the campground with my friend Chris and his wife Candy. And Chris and Candy come out with this nice little dome tent, and it looked wonderful. And I asked him, how much did you pay? And he said, oh, it was like 25 bucks. And I'm like, well, you didn't get the deal that I got, because I wasn't going to spend 20 bucks on a tent at that time. Back in 1994, I was actually just going to buy a pup tent, okay, that looked similar to this, and it was $7.99, And so we get the pump tent out at the campground at Kings Island. We set it up. Uh, Everything is wonderful. And all of a sudden, I start feeling like, you know, an outdoor woodsman. I mean, I know how to put up a tent now. And I got my bride there. And everything's going great. And 30 minutes after we got it set up, it started pouring down rain. Now, the dome tent, when the rain came down on it, it just kind of went on the sides. It was no problem. You start getting water up here, and where does the tent go? On you. And Jen and I are there, you know, and it's like a romantic night. Hey, I'm open. something's going to happen. But when there is rain and water coming down and the tent is on you, ain't nothing going to be happening. And pretty soon, I'm out there, I'm like, I'm getting it correcting it and eventually it got so bad that we just stopped and we looked kind of like this person right here we just let the tent fall straight on us and i have never been tent camping since that day don't invite me either don't go oh no i can make it better you can't okay you just can't folks i'm telling you putting up a tent and tearing it down every single day must have eventually got kind of frustrating and irritating. 
I mean, you can just imagine that you're following this cloud and every day you have to put up this tabernacle, but it's not like a little pup tent, but it's like a big circus tent and you got to get all these poles and everything ready and it's overwhelming to the max. And yet whenever the cloud would stop, that's where they would stop for the presence of God. And it was there in the tabernacle that they believed he dwelt because it was there that the gift of God, he was able to give them the greatest gift, and it was that of himself. And so it's here that we actually have the cloud, and then we have Mount Sinai, and then we have a tent. And we're getting close, and we're getting close. And God says, I know you're getting close, but it's not close enough. I want to be closer to my people. I want to be closer. And eventually, though, You see, God was leading the people when they were doing this tabernacle phase to a promised land, to a place that they could have as their own. And as the people began to establish this brand new place, there was a guy by the name of David that came. And he noticed that whenever he started looking around the city that they had built in Jerusalem, that he could see that everyone had houses except one person. Guess who it was? God. You see, God was still just living in this tent. He didn't have his own home. And so what takes place is David creates this kind of six-acre masterpiece plan that God's presence could be a part of, something that was permanent, not something that was a tent anymore. But he dies. He's not able to fulfill it. But his son Solomon comes along, and he does. And then Solomon gives these words about the temple. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, God. How much less this temple I have built. And the temple provides people the opportunity to enter into a place and to experience the presence of God. And it's here that we go from a cloud, and then we go to Sinai, and then we go to a tent, and then finally we get God's presence in a temple. And the people cry out and they're so excited that they have this new place where they can connect with God. But one of the downsides of the temple is that people begin to start thinking that it was only there that God was actually present. And they begin to kind of start losing the art form of seeing God all around them and everything. But God was only in that building. And you see, God had been trying to get closer and closer. He's like, I want to get closer to my people. But the closer that he got, actually the further and further the people got away from him. Because there was this sense that God's only present there. He's not present everywhere. And what he desired their lives to be, it slowly became not that. And so a foreign country comes in and takes the people of Israel away. And they destroy the temple. And as they're being taken out of their city in handcuffs, as they're being kind of forced out and being grabbed and pushed, they notice the temple falling down and destruction taking place. And they're thinking to themselves, we remember the temple and it's our disobedience that has created this. 
And so finally they're hostages in a foreign land and they begin to start crying out to God. God, give us a second chance. Give us a second chance. And he's like, I do want to get closer to you. And they said, well, please let us go back to the city, back to our homeland. And God allows the foreign leader to come and they're placed into exile and they're back in their city finally. And things are going well. They're back in the country. But when they return back, things were just a little bit different. It felt different. So God continues on with this relentless pursuit of humanity. And he says, I've been trying to get so close to them. I've been trying to be close with the cloud and I tried to get close You know, with Sinai, and I tried to get close with the tent, and I tried to get close with the tabernacle. And God finally makes the decision, the move that changed history. And he said, I will actually become one of them. And six miles outside of that city, Jerusalem, in a small little burg called Bethlehem, there is the fulfillment of God's pursuit To get closer and closer to his people. And it finally comes to fruition. And in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah. And the word Messiah just means the chosen one. God's chosen one. The anointed one. Came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, I want you to know, when we read this story, most of us are like, oh, that's such a great story. Folks, in the first century, this was scandalous. I mean, here's this woman, this teenage girl who is pregnant, and she's telling people it's by the Holy Spirit. And we're not sure exactly what's going to take place. I mean, she's pregnant, but she's not married. And presumably what Joseph is thinking is that she's hooked up with somebody else. And now this is what's happened to me. And Jesus enters into the world in scandal. So what is Joseph going to do? Well, he has some choices. He can either walk away, abandon her, leave her alone, or or he can actually choose to protect her. So what does Joseph do? The scripture says this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He said, hey, I'm going to be a faithful person. I'm going to kind of develop a plan. And this plan is to do that. But then the angel comes to him and says, what Mary is telling you is right. Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means what? What's it say? God saves. God saves. Folks, you got to remember that Mary's second and third trimester was filled with anxiety and stress and wondering exactly what will happen. And this is how the Christmas story unfolds. You know, Christmas can be so soft and sentimental. It's like taking our different ornaments and hanging them up on the tree. But the reality is the very first Christmas was filled with scandal and it was monumental because God came to earth and changed all. And the scandal continued for 33 years until there finally was one who was hung up on a tree 
God himself. And from this conversation, Joseph hears this with the angel. And it says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, folks, there was a progression of God wanting to get close to us, and it looked like this. There was the cloud, there was Mount Sinai, there was a tent, there was a temple. But the ultimate progression came when it finally came to the point of a manger. And it was in the manger that Emmanuel, God with us, took shape. That God wasn't distant, he wasn't in a cloud, he wasn't just in one place. But he actually came to be close with you and I. And the child's given a name, a name, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the problem with that name is that I think many times we get it very misunderstood. There are many times in which we look at that name and we, we hear people say this all the time. They'll say, well, God's with me. God's with me. Hallelujah. God's with me. God's with me. And there's this sense sometimes that we can take this and we forget that maybe in our culture, it's not so much that God is with us. But truly what it is is this, that God is available all the time. That all the time, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, that God is available all the time. Folks, this is what was resting in the manger on that first Christmas. God available to you. Emmanuel, God with us. And the problem is sometimes we take this and we put the focus on me rather than the focus being on God. And every time I place the focus on me, God, notice me. God, notice me. We get it confused because it's not about God noticing us so much as us noticing and experiencing who God is, that he is with us all the time. You see, folks, the manger reminds us that whether you're a shepherd or you're a wise man or a mother or a father or a businessman who owns an inn, it is possible, extremely possible for God's presence to be with you. So quick question for you this morning, and it's this, how well do you notice God's presence? When you're going through your every single day, how well do you notice his presence? You know, for most of my life, I always felt like God's presence could only be around me when I was doing all the right things. That if I could just fly straighter, if I could do more, if I could please him more, then his presence would be there. And the problem was I just couldn't experience his presence because I thought it was all about what I had to do for him to notice me. And at the age of 26, I finally realized in a moment that it wasn't about God having to notice me, but for me to recognize that he's with me all the time. And there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And when I turned to understand that, that I was never alone, no matter what I experienced in life, I wasn't alone. The manger became so much more powerful. Full for me because the manger represented that God would never leave us. He would never forsake us. 
And that God is longing to get closer and closer and closer and closer to every single person in this auditorium today. I could open myself up to him. And I could experience his whispers and I could walk through my day with peace and not anxiety of feeling that God was with me. So let me ask you, do you believe that God is available to you throughout your day? Do you believe that he's available in every moment, in every second as you walk through? You know, my problem is sometimes I'll get to the afternoon of my day. And I'll start going through it, and I'll get so focused on meetings and strategic planning and working on a teaching or something else that I get in my car and I'm driving home when all of a sudden I think to myself, I've spent this entire afternoon and I've never invited God to be a part of it with me. It was almost like I was just pulling him along, saying, if you want to do something, you can, but I'm simply kind of doing my own thing. And you see, it's in the hustle and bustle of the season that if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we may miss out on the presence of God that is around us, that he's accessible and available with us at all times. Now, some of you might be asking this morning, well, how do we practically apply this to our life? How do we start noticing and experiencing God's presence all the time? Well, I just want to share with you real quickly kind of three approaches that have been helpful for me in experiencing God's presence as I walk through my day. The first one is this. We must learn to be still. You and I have to learn to be still. The world is full of distractions all around us. Slowing down becomes very difficult for us to be still. Now, for me, the way I do this is I wake up in the morning and after I do kind of my normal routine, I go to a similar place every single day. And it's there that I take this particular book and I open it up and I have a reading plan and I read some scripture from it. And I ask God one question. Give me a word or phrase that you can give to me. And then I'll kind of journal on that and then I'll have some prayer. And then I am totally still I try for seven minutes each day where I am just quiet in the presence of God, still within him so that he might speak to me. Now, some of you might be, well, where do I begin? How do I do this? Well, when you walked in today, each one of you received as a gift this reading plan for Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and you could actually go ahead and start this tomorrow. In fact, I'd encourage you to do so. And what's so great about Matthew is it starts with the Christmas story. And you could do that. But you have to take a moment where you would tell yourself, I'll be still so that I can experience his presence. Kind of the second way then that we uh, approach and experience his presence is we must remember that God is here. That in every moment that you walk by, he's in here. He's close. There are many times in which I'll pull up a chair right beside me in my quiet time. And I'll recognize that this is the seat left for Christ. That he's present and he's with me. It starts. That's why you should start Matthew tomorrow. Because it starts with Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends with 
Jesus ascending to heaven and he says these words. Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We have 17 people that are going to get baptized in a couple weeks. This is why we do it, folks. Because Jesus said to do it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, watch these next words. I am with you. How often? Always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, no matter where you're at, I am with you always. I love Matthew because it bookends, God is with us. And then at the very end, it says, I am with you always. He's with you. Jesus is with you. When you get in your car and you drive home today, Jesus is with you. When you go to work tomorrow, Jesus is with you. When you get in your car and you're driving home, Jesus is with you. When you approach Christmas and the loved one who you've lost is not there, even though they're not there, Jesus is with you. And when you sit around that Christmas table and people start talking politics and the frustrations of the world, Jesus is with you, and you're going to need him to be with you. When you're experiencing awkward conversations, he's with you. When you're watching your kids in sporting activities or dance or a play, Jesus is with you. And when the church has eyes to notice that God is all around, that he'll never leave us, he'll never walk away, he is present. God is with us all the time. This is when God can move in incredible ways. So it starts with us being still, then recognizing that he is with us. And then finally, if we flip to the next one, we must respond quickly to God's whispers. When God whispers to you, because you're being still and you're open to it, you must respond quickly. When you hear from God, when you get a prompting, when you hear his experience, And you have a response to make. Do you respond slowly or do you respond quickly? One of the diseases that I battle in my life is this one right here. Delayed obedience. Now, you know what obedience is. Obedience is God tells you to do something and you do it. Disobedience is God tells you to do something and you don't do it. Delayed obedience is where God tells you to do something and you delay it. Maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a decade, but you simply delay it. Now, this is what I've learned, that delayed obedience, guess what it really is? Disobedience. Every time you delay obedience, what it really is, is disobedience. Now, I struggle with this, but when I'm spiritually mature, and maybe some of you are much more than I am, people who are spiritually mature, when God says something, they simply respond. They don't make any excuses. When they're asked to do something, they simply do it. About a year ago, our uh, church had the IRS call us. And everything worked out okay, so don't, uh, you know, freak out. But 
you know, every time the IRS calls you, you kind of freak out a little bit. And so I told our uh, financial director, Sandy King, who's awesome, and uh, she and I had to meet with this IRS agent. And so the morning of it, I'm praying, God, man, help us. Make sure, you know, we don't, like, get shut down as a church or something. And, and so I'm praying all this. And when I get to my quiet time, all of a sudden, I hear a prompting, ask the IRS, IRS agent if you can pray for them. Now, I want you to know, I was not drinking at this time, okay? It was way early in the morning. There was none of that going on. But that's the prompting that I got. And so I was like, God, are you crazy? Are you serious? I am not going to do this. I, I just don't think, are you going to do it? So Sandy and I sit down at this table and this lady comes in and she starts explaining everything and Sandy's prepared and organized. And so uh, everything gets done and uh, everything's fine. There's no problem. All's good with the jar. And uh, she says, but now, um, Mrs. King, you need to leave. I need to talk to Pastor Bunch about some personal stuff by himself. Now, the look of fear and angst and just, you know, just the sense of what is going on. And, you know, I'm thinking that Sandy, who I love, is going to stay there and support me. And she looks up, kind of smiles at me like, see you later. And she walks out the door. I love her. Not that day, but anyways, uh, and so this lady comes down and she asks some different things and we get it all worked out and everything's fine and there was no problem. But at the end, she goes, Pastor Bunch, the meeting is officially over now. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do it or not. It's been a long time. And so I said, you know what, I was praying this morning, and this may sound kind of weird, I don't know, but I felt like God was asking me to ask you, is there anything that you need prayer for? And all of a sudden, this woman just starts weeping right in front of me. And she said, last week, my daughter told me that she's been having a relationship with a 27-year-old man who is married and has kids. And she's a senior in high school, and she just turned 18, and she's out of our house now. And I feel like a horrible, horrible mom. And she just started weeping more and more and more. And so I sat down with her, and I prayed for her and her daughter, and we were all done, and she's walking out. And she said, hey, I just want to tell you, Thank you for listening to God because I didn't think I could ever tell my pastor, but you listen. Now, here's the thing. Folks, this season, God is going to be asking you to listen to his whispers. He's going to ask you to listen to his whispers to meet the needs of other people. And the question is, will you be too distracted by the season that you won't be able to do that? Or will you listen? He may be asking you to reach out to a family who's struggling and you have more resources that you could help. He might be asking you to reach out to a coworker or a neighbor or somebody else, whatever it is, to invite them to come and to be a part of this. He may be asking you to reach out to somebody who is struggling because they've lost a loved one and he simply asks you to respond quickly. And so this Christmas season, for the next 17 days, I simply want you to ask This question of yourself. 
And uh, I think it will come up on the side screen. If not, I'll read the question. And here's the question. God, if you want to whisper something to me, I will obey. It's more of a statement, actually. God, if you whisper anything to me, I will obey. And so as you go through your Christmas season, be filled with the joy of all of it is around you, but recognize and notice God and experience Him. Reading the Matthew plan and asking yourself this question, God, if you want to whisper something to me today, I will obey. Let's pray. God, I pray this week that you would help us as people to be still and to listen to your voice. Help us to not make excuses. But each day during this week, God, that you would remind us to take 10 or 15 minutes just to be in the Matthew plan to read and then to ask the question or the statement each day, God, if you whisper something to me, I will obey. Maybe you're sitting there right now, and honestly, you know what God's whispering to you. You've been sensing it in your spirit. Then respond. Respond quickly. Now maybe there are some of you, if you were really honest, you'd have to admit that, you know what, I don't even know what you're talking about, whispers and that, because I, I don't have a relationship with God. But I really do want to notice and experience God's presence around me. And so if you're sitting there today, and there's a piece of you that's like, I'm missing something in my life. I don't know what it is, but you feel this stirring in your stomach, something that's saying, you know what? You can experience and notice God's presence today. I want you to know that is God's spirit in you saying, I'm coming closer. I'm coming closer. I'm coming closer. I'm not in the cloud. I'm not on Sinai. I'm not in a tent. I'm not in the temple, but I am as close as your heartbeat. Will you turn to me? And some of you are already thinking of thoughts in your head. Well, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm going to try and I'm fail. People are going to say I'm a hypocrite. I can't get it all cleaned up at once. Don't worry. There's one who comes close. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us at all times. And today, you can receive him into your life. So today, if you want to follow Christ for the first time, or you want to make a commitment to say, God, this Christmas, I want to recommit my life to you. I invite you to repeat this prayer after me, but it's not just my prayer. It's the prayer of all of us as we pray together in one voice. And so I invite you to simply repeat it after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. No more excuses. I don't want to hold anything back. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Because you died for me, I choose to live for you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine.
In Jesus' name I pray.